Once upon a time, in a land far away, I'm Katrina, and I'm Jeff, and welcome to the Fairy Tellers Podcast. Myth, legend, folklore, fable. We explore what they say about cultures then and now. Grab a hot cup of cocoa and a comfy seat while we retell you a thing. Welcome back to the Fairy Tellers Podcast. Super excited for this episode for a number of reasons, chief among them, most importantly. In our last episode, I mentioned that the one thing that I was looking forward to in 2022 was Tuesday. <laughs> Not like this coming Tuesday, like, but Tuesday, T-W-O-S-D-A-Y. And I said that it was on February 2nd, 2022, because it would be 2 2 February 2nd is a Wednesday. Yeah. And Katrina broke my heart when she realized this and told me. And I was like, I was low that day. But. It was the only thing that was like, (laughs) like giving you hope for the year. I think that's what you said in the last episode that you were like, this is the thing, the one thing I'm looking forward to in 2022 that they can't take away from me. And it was taken. (laughs) Katrina took it from me. And since publishing the episode, Several listeners have reached out and be like, hey, like, sorry to burst your bubble, but February 2nd is a Wednesday. And I was like, dang it. But I found out on my own, or was it you that told me? Your mom put on Facebook and then I messaged you <laughs> what, what so, your mom had put on That's Facebook. even better. So Katrina messaged me again. It was like, hey, great news. Like, you can come out of your room now and like shave and put on clothes and like live in the world because February 22nd, 2022 is in fact a Tuesday. Tuesday is on, it's happening. So I'm once again full of optimism. And there's one more the too. World. There was, and, there's yeah. one more two in the date that like was a surprise for you personally. Yeah. So it's like, I was I was excited to the point that I was excited already. Um, having it not be a Tuesday, like it, just, like that ruined it. Like I don't care that there's like all twos. Like mm-hmm. if it when it wasn't a Tuesday, it's like no, like okay, that's kind of cool, but but that ruined it. I was just like I don't even want to participate in this thing anymore. But now it is a Tuesday, and there's 25 percent more to to celebrate. So <laughs> think of me and join in in celebrating Tuesday, and that would just like make my year, my 2022. Anyway, Katrina, top that is all I have to say. (laughs) (laughs) I've got nothing. But this episode, aside from Jeff just using it as a platform to inform everybody about what dates are happening this year, (laughs) this episode is also one that I'm really excited to do because it's like a bunch of things like all coming together at once. So in early 2020, Jeff told me that I had to watch The Witcher because it was right up my alley with fairy tales intermixed with an exciting like fantasy world. And I was like, um, no, thank you. I remember this conversation so well because Jeff was telling me about how like hot Henry Cavill is. Mm -hmm. And I was like, he's not my type. And Jeff was like, what is your type? And I said, Jack Black. (laughs) And like pretty much ever since then, like anytime Jack Black comes up, people will like message me different videos of him. Like Jack Black got a TikTok 
account and people started just like messaging me TikTok videos of like Jack Black. <laughs> so I remember having this conversation with you, Jeff, of, you know, like, oh, you should watch The Witcher. You'd really enjoy it. And I don't know why. I guess I'm a stick in the mud. Like, truly, the amount of times I've been told, I think you'll love this thing by people who know me really well. And I'm like, mm, no, thank you. <laughs> and I seem to be more willing to, like, try something new or watch a show, like a new show that's out. If a complete stranger, <laughs> like, tells me about it. A couple of months ago, Folkwise asked me if I was interested in going on to a couple hours of their all-day live event that they were playing The Witcher 3. They were doing it to promote their book club launch, Folk Sighted. Uh, and I was like, yes, I would absolutely love to hang out with your team and do like another thing with them because we had done an interview with them back in October. So I decided in preparation for the video game, I was going to <laughs> at least try to be familiar with like the like the universe. And so I finally watched season one of The Witcher. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is really great stuff. Who knew? <laughs> like I did. And I told you. <laughs> so this episode is going to definitely have spoilers for season one. Uh, of The Witcher, but not season two. So good should because have... I haven't seen season two yet. You haven't? <laughs> no. Oh, okay. Then I will definitely make sure no spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen season two because, like, I haven't watched. I watch very little TV because I never have the time. <laughs> yeah, I'm like you've been you've been like crazy, insane, busy. Also, speaking of Jeff being super busy, uh, I want to thank. Everybody for their patience with our last episode coming out. It came out like a couple days late. Did you want to tell them what you've been doing like with your time or no? So I've been serving a lengthy uh, prison sentence, but I do get out and get to come home at night. No, wait, it's the opposite, isn't it? Like you get you get to go out during the day and work and then you go back home to the prison. Never mind. That's not true. Uh, yeah. So I, yeah, it's just been busy. And I mean, between work and then like kids having to go into quarantine because of COVID stuff going on at schools. And like I, this year started back up in a graduate program going to school. So I've got work and homework and I've got some community service stuff that I do. And yeah. And then all the stuff happening with just with my family and my kids it's just been very, very busy trying to get yeah. it all, uh, you know, all going. So it yeah. impacted our we my had, ability to edit the podcast and get it released in a timely manner. And like, I know we had like a couple people who were concerned because it was like we'd put out the Thousand One Nights finale and then <laughs> just never. Surprise, like, <laughs> it was a podcast finale. Yeah. And yeah, it, it was like the second Friday came and went and people were like, uh-oh. <laughs> like, did did the podcast end? But I was like, oh, no, no, sorry. Yeah, we'll get it out. So, yeah, everybody, thank you for your patience. So, yeah, when Jeff says that he did not have time <laughs> to watch season two I of The it. Witcher. Yeah, he, like, legit did not have time to watch season two of The Witcher. So I promise not to spoil any of it for you. So uh, you should have already seen season one by now if you cared about 
watching The Witcher. So hopefully nobody will be upset about season one spoilers. But in season one, there is an episode where The Witcher, Geralt, is a specific Witcher. There are uh, like there are others that exist in the universe. Anyway, Geralt was in Sintra at the feast with Pavetta. And a knight came in who would not take off his helmet. And I was like immediately, okay, what's going on with this dude? (laughs) He Like, that's odd behavior. And I swear to you, the second that they ripped off his helmet, I was like, Hans, my hedgehog. (laughs) (laughs) He's going to marry the girl. Like, he has to marry the girl because I know how the rest of the story goes. Yeah. but we're getting ahead of ourselves uh, in this episode. <laughs> uh, because back in 2020, when we were doing the Beauty and the Beast series, an audience member asked if we were going to cover Hans my Hedgehog or Hans the Hedgehog. And I told them that we probably wouldn't because we were trying not to go over the same tail types like over and over again. I really try to do episodes with an angle that we haven't covered too much and I really didn't have an angle to come at Hans my Hedgehog or Hans the Hedgehog. We didn't have like a good angle that I wasn't already talking about with the Beauty and the Beast story. Yeah. And I was already worried that I was like belaboring all of the points we were covering (laughs) with like the Beauty and the Beast series. So back in 2020, I decided not to do an episode on Hans the Hedgehog, but I guess I'm a liar and it is 2022 and the year of audience requests. So you only had to wait two years, but we got to it. What's interesting, too, is the the person who had requested it, they had said that they knew that story, Hans, uh, my hedgehog, from the Jim Henson TV series that was out in like 1987 called The Storyteller. Mm. And the reason why our podcast is called The Fairy Tellers is actually because of (laughs) that show. like. The yeah. the storyteller is the the main character human in this like show and he has a puppet dog that talks and he's usually like retelling the the stories to the dog because of some question that the dog will like ask <laughs> about like like oh why are people always so like mean or like why are people you know like he'll like ask like these questions and in one of the first episodes they retell the story of Hans my hedgehog. And so the, the the person who had requested the story, she already was familiar with like the the tale and knew that it was a an animal groom story. And so she was like, oh, this will go like along with, you know, like what you were talking about. And yeah, like I said, we like made the call that like, ah, we're kind of like already going over that stuff. I also seem to recall and- that at the time you were like, also. I don't like the story of Hans, my hedgehog, because uh-huh. just kind of gross. Yes. Okay. <laughs> like, okay. So like one of the reasons for that is because of, so I wasn't familiar with the storyteller, the TV show from the eighties. I didn't watch it then. I've watched it a lot more recently because I started watch like reading the, there's a graphic novel series that came out that is based off of that show. And that came out more, well, I think 
currently, like in the 2010s mm-hmm. is when that graphic novel started to come out. And then I looked into the um, stories. But like the costuming in that video, the guy who is Hans, the hedgehog, looks like so gross. And then there's also a part at the beginning of the story that we haven't even started telling yet. But like where like the mom is, it's like says that the mom was like breastfeeding the little hedgehog. And so the story just makes me cringe <laughs> for that reason. Uh, so I had been like, ah, no, I don't. I don't want to do this like a story, but it came up a couple times, like in that series. And if you're new here, you can listen to those episodes to get kind of like a better multi-angled view of the animal grooms and animal brides stories that kind of help shape what the beauty and the beast story that we're most familiar with. But today we're going to be talking about the law of surprise, which I first encountered that I can recall. I'm sure I've probably encountered it somewhere else, but I first encountered it in the Witcher episode. So you're correct. The law of surprise is a phrase that was invented by the author and the English translator because the, the books originally were released in Polish, Polish yeah. in like the 80s. And yeah, and then like translated. So the phrase, the law of surprise is specific. Oh, specific to, to the world of the Witcher. Yes. Interesting. Yes. So I'm like, I'm glad that you <laughs> asked. And the, the, even like the phrase and like kind of what it means is used differently in the, the TV series versus the books. Okay. Because in the books, it's a little more explicit that Witchers were before they're witchers, when they're little children, they themselves are law of surprise children. Oh. They're children of surprise. Gotcha. And which was kind of a reason that was given for like why Geralt like even like, said that that's what he wanted. Right. Like was just claiming the law of surprise because it was uh, something that he was used to in his tradition of like being like a witcher. Yeah. That makes sense. I'm, yeah. I didn't know that. I haven't read the books, obviously. But yeah, that's cool. I started reading. I think it's like the first book is more of a collection of like the short tales because it started off as like short stories. Uh And then it's really interesting how like the TV series is using those short stories to um, shape what they are trying to show in like the Witcher series, because like they they're they are changing stuff in them. Yeah. But to use them for very specific ways, it's it's really fascinating. Interesting. Now I want to read them. So and then in the TV series on Netflix, they explain that when someone's life has been saved by another, the person who saved the life can ask to be repaid through this law of surprise. It's basically a way of saying, hey, man, no problem. I didn't save your life looking for any big reward. How about when you get something good, you pass it along to me? And it's repaying a life debt without looking like a jerk asking for someone to repay a life debt is basically like what it is. And it was funny because I was watching the Making the Witcher there's like an episode. It's not an episode, but it's like a little documentary about kind of like the behind the scenes of like the making of The Witcher that's on Netflix. And one of the writers actually talked about how he was the one that was tasked 
with writing the script for the part of that episode that describes the law of surprise. And it was really hard because it's exposition Mm -hmm. and actors hate it when they have blocks of text that are purely (laughs) written to explain things to the audience because they can't turn to the camera and say like, I'm explaining this to you, (laughs) even though everyone in this world already probably understands what's going on. And, and of course like writers hate writing exposition because they know that it's really clunky to act. And so they tried to keep the explanation quick and fairly uncomplicated. But immediately after the show came out, people started Googling the law of surprise because they were like, wait, what is this? Is this a thing? Because in the show they say, oh, it's an ancient practice. Right. Or like, oh, like it's a it's a thing that's gone on for centuries or whatever. And so people immediately, you know, were Googling like, what is this? Is this a thing? I don't really understand what this is. I'm not familiar with the law of surprise. And this is where reading a lot of fairy tales and folk tales is helpful for me. Because I legit was one of those people that was like, oh, like, it seems like it makes so much sense within the context of the story. Like in the reasons that you just presented too. It's like saving someone else's life is a big deal, but also Mm -hmm. like you can't. I don't know, like expect the repayment or whatever, but you kind of want something. So it's like, oh, it does seem like a really kind of like, it is weird, but it's like, oh, like they came up with this way to circumvent that to kind of like meet all the weird societal complications. Like it is kind of like a neat little thing that could see being real in a time where literally saving people's lives was more common because people died more often. (laughs) Yes. And it like, it, it does. It sounds like, vaguely familiar yeah it sounds like, like a thing it, yeah that you're like no this checks out this sounds like, like it could be yes something. i remember hearing something kind of about this before and when when i watched that scene i knew the exact story that was being referenced right because when they took off his helmet and i saw what was under there I mean, other people probably did not. Their first thought was probably not like, is that a hedgehog man? And nowhere in the episode (laughs) do they say, is that a hedgehog man? What's funny, and this is the only spoiler I will give for season two, is just that there's like one point where Siri says, my mother once told me a story about a man who'd been turned into a hedgehog by an enchantment. And I was like, (laughs) because... Never in the the Witcher series do they blatantly come out and say, like, we're making references to Beauty and the Beast, or we're making references yeah. to Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. They don't say yeah. that. And so they never explicitly said, oh, this is from the story Hans my Hedgehog. But immediately when they took off the helmet, I was like, I know this story. <laughs> and so there is not a motif. That is called the law of surprise. And yeah, to the best of my knowledge, it is a phrase that the author and the translator, because like, you know, when it was translated into English, um, that they came up with. But under the Thompson motifs list, this little story element is labeled S240. We've talked a little bit about the um, ATU index. Mm -hmm where that is taking tail types and classifying them. But there's also a motifs 
list, which are just like small little pieces of a story that often get, you know, like intermixed or used in different stories. Right. um, Yeah. And so it's just another way of kind of connecting like motifs with like motifs to help try to figure out, you know, like a lot of things, how stories travel, how they relate to each other, just, yeah, different things like that. So this little story element is labeled S240, Child Unwittingly Promised. So there's also the motif, which is S210, which is Child Sold or Promised. Mm -hmm. And people might be familiar with that in Beauty and the Beast, Rapunzel, uh, Rumpelstiltskin. And that is where a child is explicitly promised to another person. Like it's somebody who knows they are pregnant or knows that they are going to have a baby at some point. Like in Rumpelstiltskin, when she's like, I'll give you my firstborn child. We haven't covered that on our podcast, but hopefully people are somewhat familiar. Or in Beauty and the Beast, when the Beast says that he wants the merchant's daughter. And the merchant promises. So that one is child sold or promised. But with S240, child unwittingly promised, these are stories with parents, usually fathers, (laughs) who don't actually realize what they're promising. And so there are different ways that they like come about that. Mm-hmm. So how these children get unwittingly promised to somebody else, like it it ranges, it differs. And it's really interesting to look at those because sometimes, you know, the person will say, give me the first thing born on your farm in spring. And then they're, they're thinking, oh, it'll be a lamb. It'll be a chicken. You know, chicken. Yeah, whatever. Uh, they're just like, yeah, sure. I'll give you whatever. It's chickens like, are hatched, not born. But I, you know. You Yeah. Sometimes it's the first thing to cross your bridge to greet you when you get home, which I'm like, that's a little terrifying because <laughs> what if you accidentally, like, what if your wife comes, like, runs yeah. out to you or something? But, you know, sometimes, like, they'll think, oh, it'll either be like a dog that'll, like, come to its owner or it will be like a servant who <laughs> runs out to get the stuff for the carriage, which, yeah, again, like... <laughs> trading people isn't great you hope it's just one of the Um, annoying servants that you didn't like anyway um there are other stories where it's like oh give me what is under your wife's apron which i'm like uh excuse me yeah i was gonna say that sounds a little specific there buddy yeah i'm like that one's a little one of my favorites is inside of this story called uh nick's not nothing Ooh, great title. So um, (laughs) Joseph Jacobs in English fairy tales uh, collected the story Nick's Not Nothing. And in that one, it's super funny because what happens is the king is off fighting in a battle for like a really, really long time. And he doesn't know that at home, his wife was pregnant when he left. Mm. And so it's like five months after he leaves and is like in battle, she gives birth to this baby and she has to bless the baby for like religious reasons of like they want to like bless and name the child before in case it dies, basically, so that its soul will be safe. 
But she did not want to name the baby before her husband met the baby, like got to, because she wanted her husband to help pick out the name. And so on the birth certificate, she just wrote, Nick's not nothing. And so when the king is coming back to his kingdom, I think it's like he's at a bridge and like an ogre or a giant, like somehow helps him. And he's like, oh, now I, I owe you something for helping me, like, get across this raging river or whatever. And the giant says, I only require Nick's not nothing. And the king is like, oh, okay, sure. <laughs> no. Because, again, unwitting, yeah. unwittingly promised. Yeah. yeah. And he gets home and his wife's like, look, it's your son. And it's like, oh, no. <laughs> so, yeah, he gets home. He has to give his son away and you know obviously a story ensues and so the the law of surprise is not something that is like a set thing but it is a story motif that comes up a lot and so i thought at long last after somebody requested (laughs) like two years ago that we retell hans my hedgehog We are going to do that for everyone today. So this is Hans the Hedgehog. There once was a countryman who had money and land in plenty. But despite how rich this guy was and was bragging about it, apparently, there was still one thing that he wanted in order to be happy, that he thought he needed in order to be happy. And that was children. The dude had no kids. I have kids. And sometimes I'm like, dude, Count your blessings. <laughs> <laughs> and me, I really wanted kids. It took a long time <laughs> to get them. And even me, sometimes I'm like, what? Careful did what you I wish do? for, buddy. Just kidding. Uh, kids are amazing. Love, I love children. I love yeah, my we, children. We love children. <laughs> kids, if you're listening to this in 20 years, no, I don't think it was a mistake. Not at all. Which is true. It was a mistake. It is great. And I do, in all earnestness, tell people who are like considering having children, I'm like, 100% do it. It is so worth it. Yes, it is hard, and there are times that are very, very difficult, but the good far outweighs the bad. I found, yes, as this like random I'm, aside, oh, sorry, yes, continue, as just kind of like a random aside about the joys of having children, <laughs> is that it, it, it opens your world in both directions. Like, I experience so many more just wonderful, positive excited, happy emotions than I did before, but also in the other direction where it's like there's difficult things. And like the big thing, it opened the door on, it opened the door on like fear and anxiety for me. I was not very anxious of a person before I had children because I wasn't like, oh, if I die, whatever, it's okay. But now I'm like concerned about like the safety of my children. And I'm so like anxious about things I never thought I'd be anxious about in my life. So it's, it's just, it's very like experience broadening thing to happen. Yeah. And I I can't remember if this was from like the Gottman Institute or not, but a lot of people have seen this statistic that like your, uh, your enjoyment of life and also the relationship that you have with your spouse after you have children, it drops. Yeah. Like dressed. (laughs) It like, it, it drops down. But what they have found is that when those children become adults, they have greater life satisfaction than like 
I don't know if it's compared to people who don't have children or if it just, you know, is is only compared to themselves of like there is like a pendulum swing where it's like, yes, when the children are very, very young, it's very, very miserable. But then as the kids like, yeah, yeah. And so I I really enjoy my children. I've been blessed with what I consider to be like very like well behaved and pretty easy like to deal with like children. Um, it's a gamble every time you have a kid. (laughs) (laughs) And so, yeah, I agree with people who say like, um, having kids, if it is not a hell, yes, it is a no. (laughs) Like, like, do not, like, it's not something that you choose half-heartedly. Yeah. And this, I'm sorry that that one line of that story (laughs) set us off. And this countryman had apparently read that Gottman Institute article because he wanted to have kids very badly. And this is kind of messed up, but he would go into town and everyone knew that he wanted to have kids. And they would make fun of him and mock him by asking him why he didn't have any kids. Yeah, that sounds right. (laughs) People, oh my goodness, like when you have problems getting pregnant, people say some of the most like insensitive things Uh, like it is ridiculous like how insensitive people can be and i don't know i i know how insensitive people were to me yeah it makes me wonder how insensitive i am to other people without realizing it yeah but also yeah no this totally makes this jives with my life experience (laughs) that the townspeople were jerks all right I wasn't planning on interrupting this much to be like, all right, let me tell you something. So yeah, anyway, townspeople are how townspeople are. They're jerks. They're singing whole songs about what a weirdo you are because you love to read books. Whatever. She was like, <laughs> uh, she was singing about like how crappy it was living in that small <laughs> That's town. true. That was like a tit for tat situation there. Like she's like, this yeah. town sucks. And they're like, you're weird and you suck. <laughs> Everybody in this town's a jerk face and they're so boring and provincial. <laughs> and they're like, why is she so rude and uppity? She's not that great. <laughs> so as you do when people are mocking you for something that you're kind of sensitive and tender in your soul about, the um, countryman got very angry and he got home and he's like, I'm going to have a child. I don't care if that child's a hedgehog, which is a weird thing to say. But that's how serious he was about it. He's like, if I can't have a kid, I guess I'm going to adopt a hedgehog. So this guy, in his anger, wishes for a child, even if it's a hedgehog. Surprise! His wife gets pregnant and has a child. And even more of a surprise, it is a hedgehog. More specifically, it's like a half hedgehog. The upper part of its body was a hedgehog, and the lower part was a boy. And after giving birth to this hedgehog child, she was, unsurprisingly, terrified and i'm just gonna say probably in a little bit of pain but we'll leave it at that well okay if he came out head first the spines then like fold down. the spines yeah and also i don't know if this is true you do not want to give birth to a hedgehog, hedgehog baby breach no. <laughs> i don't know if this is that's not true making it for... that episode. it's fine <laughs> I don't know if this is true for hedgehog human like hybrid babies, but I think that like hedgehog babies, their quills are like like still like oh. soft, malleable. I might be making that up too. I don't know. I, this is an animal. <laughs> 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 
Thank you for that animal fact, uh, Katrina. And just to catch you all up on the not even full paragraph that we've been able to get throughout this story so far, Countryman, super rich, couldn't have kids. Everyone made fun of him. He wished that he could have a kid, even if it was a hedgehog. Wish comes true. His wife gives birth to a hedgehog and is terrified. And she's like so mad at her husband. She's like, dude, you wished this ill luck on us. And now what are we going to do? Like, we got to go and christen this hedgehog boy. We're not going to be able to get a godfather for him looking like this. And she's like, (laughs) and what are we going to call him? And like, obviously we can't call him anything besides Hans the Hedgehog. Yeah, clearly. Like. Alliteration. Yeah. It has to be alliterative. And he's a hedgehog. So they christened him and like the priest kind of pointed out, it's like, hey, uh, just so you know, I don't know if you've thought this through, but he's not really going to be able to go into an ordinary bed because of those spines. Like might want to figure out some other situation. So they made him like this whole bed of straw and stuck it behind the stove. And that is where Hans the Hedgehog slept. For eight years. Nice and warm. And like, as a baby, his mother refused to breastfeed him because like, if she tried, it would just like prick her skin. And she's like, I can't have that. So they just like took this baby hedgehog boy, stuffed him behind the stove and kind of let him do his own thing for eight years. This story is so sad. (laughs) You think that's sad? The father was so unhappy about having this hedgehog hybrid child that he wished all the time. He's like, ugh, I wish my son would just die already. But instead, Hans lived, which is good, except for like his dad is a jerk. Yeah. Fairy tale dads, guys. The worst. So for a little change of pace, a fair was coming to town. Excellent segue. (laughs) And the father's like, okay, I'm going to go to the fair. Like, he asks his wife if she wants anything. And she's like, oh, get me some meat and some rolls or something. And he asks the servant, like, oh, what do you want? And the servant's like, oh, get me some slippers, maybe some stockings, just something for my feet. I'm very interested in feet accessories these days. And (laughs) then he's like, okay, Hans, what do you want? And Hans is like, oh, dear father please bring me back some bagpipes. And now we get a little hint of why his dad wanted him to die so much. Because <laughs> <laughs> he played the bagpipes. Just kidding. Anyway, so the father goes to the fair, comes home, distributes the gifts appropriately amongst the people who had asked for them, including the bagpipes for Hans, which to be fair is like, that's kind of a good present you know like bagpipes are not cheap this guy is rich um but like compared to like meat and rolls a bagpipe and like everybody who has children knows that like one of the last things that you want to give children is a toy that makes noise yeah so like this that it actually is very kind and generous of him to bring home i wouldn't give my children bagpipes is what i'm saying me either um so when when hans got the bagpipes he's like Oh, dear father. He always calls him dear father, which is funny. And it makes me think of him speaking like that. Dear father. So once he had his bagpipes, he tells his dad, he's like, hey, go get the rooster saddled up. I'm heading out. And his dad was like, "Uh, what? You're leaving? He's like, okay, yeah, uh, I'll do that. I'll put a saddle on a rooster for you. And so he does. He gets the, the rooster ready to go. Hans takes his bagpipes. Also, not sure if he negotiated this with his dad or not, but he's like, I'm taking a bunch of pigs with me into the forest and I'm going to live there now. 
And so he gets out of the forest. He has the rooster fly him up high in a tree, and he just kind of starts living up in a tree, raising pigs and donkeys. Mm. So he's out there raising this little herd, and it's getting pretty big. These animals are thriving. We need to have Hans the Hedgehog as a guest on our Animal Husbandry podcast to give us some (laughs) hot tips on how to grow your herd. And he would just sit up in the tree, and he would play the bagpipes all day. (laughs) Wise move to move out into the middle of the woods before you start learning to play the bagpipes. My grandfather, Scottish, he'd be so disappointed in me for, for ragging on bagpipes. Sorry, Grandpa. Sorry, Grandpapa. Sorry, dear Grandfather. It does say that while he was sitting there playing the bagpipes that he would, quote, make music that was very beautiful. So I guess he got pretty good. One day, a king is traveling by, and he was lost. He's like, I don't know where I'm going. So the king's, the king's lost in this forest, and he hears this beautiful bagpipe music coming from off in the distance. So he's like, okay, I'm going to go towards this music. He sees Hans. I guess doesn't think twice about the fact that this is a half-hedgehogged man. And he's like, hey, can you help me get home? Like, I am totally lost. And Hans like, yep, I can do that. And so Hans comes down from the tree and he says, I'll show you the way home. But in exchange, I want you to write out in a contract that you will give me whatever first meets you in the royal courtyard as soon as you arrive home. And so the king like thinks for a second. He's like, okay, I can do that. Thinking that he's like, this is kind of like a hedgehog. He doesn't really understand what's going on. I can write anything in this contract that I want, and he's not going to know. And I can weasel my way out of having to give him anything. Yeah. And so, weasel he does. So, Hans shows him the way home. After the king gets there safely, his daughter, who saw him from afar, comes and runs out to greet him, giving him a big old kiss on the cheek. And he remembers what he had promised verbally to Hans. (laughs) So the king remembers this whole promise that he's given, remembers everything that went down. He tells his daughter, like, hey, this is what went down. I kind of promised that I would give the first thing, whatever it was that met me in the courtyard when I got home, to this weird half-hedgehog person that rides on a rooster as if it were a horse. Um, I wrote it down in a contract saying that I was going to promise it to you, but also actually in the contract I wrote that I wouldn't. I hope that doesn't come back to bite me somehow. (laughs) And the princess was glad to know that she was actually not promised off to some strange bagpipe playing half hedgehog who rides on a rooster that lives in the woods. Hans the Hedgehog, back in the forest, living his best life, just caring for the donkeys and the pigs, playing his beautiful bagpipe music, in the trees as if nothing had ever happened. Because he didn't know that this had gone down. Yeah. He knew, like, the king probably arrived home at some point. You know, he, 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 but he didn't know what it was that he should expect. So another king comes by, lost in this forest. Like, why are kings always getting lost in this forest? I don't know. So it's a similar situation. King hears the bagpipe music, comes up, discovers Hans, asks Hans for help. Hans makes the same deal. Like, hey, I can show you the way to your kingdom back home as long as you promise me whatever shall greet you first when you arrive in the royal courtyard back home. And so this king agreed, didn't try to weasel his way out of it, just did exactly as was promised, wrote out the contract, and went on his way. So the king arrives home safely, thanks to Hans the Hedgehog. When he gets to the courtyard, great rejoicings were had, and the king, whose only daughter, very beautiful, of course, as all fairy tale princesses are, runs out to meet 
her father throws her arms around his neck and gives him a big old kiss and was just so happy to have him back. She asks him, oh, father, what took you so long? And her father's like, well, I got lost. And in order to make it home, I kind of had to promise the first thing that greeted me in the courtyard to a half hedgehog man. And that first thing that met me in the courtyard is you. So the king is pretty bummed and he feels really bad telling his daughter. But because she loved her father so much and she was so happy that he was able to make it back, which he wouldn't have been able to without this hedgehog, she said that she would willingly go with Hans if he came to claim her. So Hans back in the woods taking care of his pigs and the pigs quote unquote multiplied until they became so many a number that the whole forest was filled with them. It's like, dang, that's a lot of pigs. He's really good at taking care of his critters. Yeah, he is. And so he's like, all right, now that I have all of these pigs, I'm not going to live in the woods anymore. I'm going to send word to my father and try to tell him to empty out every sty in the whole village. Cause I'm coming in with a whole mess of pigs. And <laughs> when the father heard that Hans was coming home, he was pretty upset because he thought for sure that Hans had died. So he was very disappointed that his son was still alive. Jerk. So Hans hops up onto his rooster, drives the pigs like like a dog herding sheep into the village and, quote unquote, ordered the slaughter to begin. And there's this whole happy, joyous section where they talk about how they killed all the pigs and there was chopping that could have been heard two miles away. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, but everyone's happy. You know, they had a lot of, um, you know, ham was eaten, bacon. The people yeah. were well fed. And much to Hans's father's relief, Hans was like, hey, dad, why don't you go saddle up that rooster again and I'm going to head off. And his dad's like, okay, yes, thank you. Uh, please don't ever come back. And so I guess Hans was like, yeah, you know what? I won't. Um, yeah. I mean, that's what I'm assuming it says that his father was pleased that Hans the Hedgehog would never return again. So Hans rode off to the first kingdom where he knew that he had some sort of gift awaiting him. And the king, knowing that at some point Hans was going to come claim his rightful reward, had warned his guard like, hey. His his child surprise. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he warned his like royal guard like hey if you see like somebody coming up riding on the back of a rooster like do not let them in and so when hans arrived he was greeted by some pretty uh aggressive guards like shoving their pikes in his face saying like hey no you can't come in here but benefit of riding on rooster back is roosters can fly so these pikes kind of just <laughs> spooked the rooster it flew up and over the guards and landed into the royal courtyard. This is such like a difficult story for me to picture just because I, I'm like, it sounds like he's small. Yeah. But also if he's small, how can he marry a woman? I don't know what I'm asking. <laughs> <laughs> the answer is probably magic, Katrina. Like. Yeah. So Hans is pretty upset about how he was treated when he arrived. And he demands that the king give him what he was promised or else he's going to kill him. <laughs> so basically, give me what you promised or I'm going to kill you and your daughter, he says. Wow, Hans. And so the king starts like speaking to his daughter softly. 
and he's like, hey, just go with Hans and like, you know, so he won't kill us. Like, we'll just give him what he wants. It's fine. And so she got very upset by this, but not wanting to die, got dressed in white and went away with Hans. And the father gave him a carriage, horses, attendants, gold, all sorts of stuff. And when she sat in there with Hans beside her and his rooster inside of the carriage and his bagpipes, and the king thought he would never see his daughter again. But it was the king's turn to be deceived because Hans knew all about the king trying to weasel out of it. So when they got a little ways away from the town, Hans took off the princess's clothes and pierced her with his hedgehog skin until she bled all over and said, that's what you get for trying to trick me because I'm a hedgehog, I guess. (laughs) And he's like, you get out of here and never come back. I don't want you. And so she gets out, goes home and, you know, she is disgraced for the rest of her life having been pricked by this hedgehog. So Hans, having sent back the princess and apparently the carriage and all the horses and all that, rides off on his rooster once again with his bagpipes, bringing those bagpipes everywhere. And he goes to the kingdom of the second king. And this one had arranged that if anyone that looked like Hans the Hedgehog, he's like, hey, if if this guy that looks like Hans the Hedgehog comes, you'll recognize him because he looks like a hedgehog. You're supposed to come and bring him safely to us into the royal palace. And... So the guard sees the hedgehog man, brings him into the palace, and when the daughter of the king, this second princess, sees Hans, she is pretty scared because he looked so strange. I've never seen a person that was like half hedgehog, but I imagine if I did that I also would be a little terrified. But she remembered the promise that she had made to her father, saying that she would go along willingly. So she welcomed Hans the hedgehog. They got married. They have this whole royal wedding celebration. And when it got late into the evening and she wanted to go to sleep, they retired off so that she could do so. But she was terrified of Hans' quills because they could poke her if, like, they tried to snuggle or anything. And Hans was like, hey, don't worry. Don't be afraid. Nothing bad is going to happen to you. It's going to be fine. So Hans told the king, he's like, hey, king, this is what you got to do. All right. I need you to appoint four men to watch by the door of our chamber. And I need them to light this huge fire in the room next door. When I come into the room and I'm getting ready to go to bed, I'm going to creep out of my hedgehog skin and just leave it on the floor by the bedside. And that when I do that, you need to run in, grab my hedgehog skin and throw it in the fire until it's like completely burned up and gone. And so they do that. The clock strikes 11. He goes into the chamber. He takes off his hedgehog skin, which I never knew that that was an option, and leaves it lying on the floor by the bed. Then the men come in, grab it, throw it in the fire, and the fire burns it up completely. And there lay Hans in the bed in completely human form. But he was covered in like soot as if he himself had been in a had fire. Been burned. Yeah. Yeah. Like it says it looked as if he had been burnt himself. So it's not just like he was like covered in soot, like close to the fire, but it was like, I'm imagining something far more graphic. The king sent for his physician and they washed him off 
put all sorts of like creams and moisturizers. I'm like, oh, your skin's a little dry. Get a little <laughs> moisturizer in there. You'll be good as new. And he was. And in fact, not only was he well moisturized, he was also a very handsome young man. So when the king's daughter saw this, she was so happy that her husband wasn't in fact a half hedgehog man. And so the next morning they arose joyfully, ate and drank again, and the marriage was properly solemnized. And Hans the Hedgehog received the kingdom from the old king. Several years go by. Hans decides that he's going to go back to his father. He goes to his father and he's like, hey, dad, it's me, your son. And the father's like, I have no son. (laughs) The end. (laughs) (laughs) So Hans goes to his, his father and is like, dad, dear father, it's me, your son, Hans. And his father's like, hey, hold up. I don't have a son. I had a son, but you're not him because my son was born looking like a half hedgehog with these crazy spikes. And he took off. And Hans is like, no, it really is me. And the dad was like, holy crap, that's exciting. The thing I wanted from the very beginning of the story, a son that's not a half hedgehog weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> And so, and the father rejoiced and went back with Hans to his kingdom, the end. Which I'm like so unsatisfied with that aspect of the ending. And so much of it too. It's like, that father was nothing but a jerk to you the whole time. Like, wishing you would die. Making you sleep behind a stove for eight years of your life. Hoping you would die. Sending you gleefully off into the forest where he assumed that you would die, being disappointed when you came home because you didn't die. And then you're like, hey, dad, I'm not a hedgehog anymore. And he's happy. And you're like, okay, come live with me in luxury in the kingdom. No. Yeah. No. I'm like, if anything, the mom. Yeah. What happened to her? Like, she's not mentioned, like, you know, like what happens to her after anything. I mean, I don't know how much better of a caregiver she was than like her husband yeah. but still like it's just weird that she's not mentioned, mentioned of her. except for like oh he can't breastfeed so they stuck him behind the stove last we ever hear of his mother yeah. which i mean we know like in other fairy tales the mothers don't last very long so yeah it's like not to mention um stories to make them easier to like tell orally usually never have like What's the rule? Like, they're never more than like two characters, right. three at the most. Yeah. Like, in the center of things. And so it's like he was already there with his wife. Yeah. And then the father. And then he, the, and then he talks to his father and takes him home. So that's already like the three. There's not space <laughs> in my memory for a mom. That is interesting you bring that up because I do remember talking about that a long time ago about like one of the definitions of kind of like, not definitions, but one of the things that they've kind of talked about with fairy tales in general as I think sort of like part of, not quite a definition, but sort of like what makes a fairy tale a fairy tale according to some people's definition is that like, oh, no more than these three characters. And in this story, it is like you've got the father, the mother, and the hedgehog boy and then he goes out into the woods and even then it's like i kind of glossed over it here but it's like hans the king and like a servant sometimes is like the one that's also interacting with them the king goes back as the king and the daughter when hans goes it's 
Hans the king and the daughter in both of these situations. It's like it is always only yeah. the three characters that are interacting in any one yeah. scene. I mean, because also the stories have like a very shallow depth of like uh, feeling. Like yeah. they never go into a lot of feeling of like why a care what's motivating a character, what's kind right. of the underlying thing. And so unless a character is there to move the story somewhere, they're not yeah. there. Like they are in the background somewhere. And like with the mom, really all she was needed for in the story was to like give birth to a child. So the child existed, but then she was unnecessary to any of the other action because it's not like if something had needed to happen where she helped to save the child or if she could be used to further the plot, she would have been (laughs) in the story, but it's like she was unnecessary. And I mean, that's what's interesting about um, when we have written stories and when we have like film and stuff is we can go deeper into that without losing information. Yeah. Because like conversations between two characters that are like long and clunky, metaphorical, you know, like talking about like, like the philosophy or motives or feelings. It's, it, it it's the, that stuff is easy to forget or muddle or whatever, and so it gets dropped off of oral storytelling. Yeah, off of oral storytelling. So many things are coming together right now that I feel like I should have realized before having done a podcast about folklore and fairy tales for two and a half <laughs> years. But it makes so much sense again why, like characters, lots of times, including in this story, don't have names. The only one that has a name is yeah. Hans the Hedgehog, and it's like the father, the mother, the king, the daughter, the king, the daughter, because it's yeah, like that's a lot to keep in mind as a storyteller, but also as someone listening. Like because yes. things happen in these little parcels. Like even the fact it's like a king and his daughter, a king and his daughter. Like as long as you know and understand, it's like oh, it's the first king. You could just say king and his daughter, king and his daughter, and that's fine. Like you're only you only have to kind of keep in mind like the one situation at a time. Once that first yeah. king has been dealt with, then you go and it's like he went to the other king. Even if you had forgotten that that had happened, like you'd remember, and then it's like oh, like the other king is dealt with. We don't need to worry about that. It's just this one happening um, right there and then. And so it's like they don't have a lot of names because that would be a lot of stuff to remember from telling to telling. Yeah. And maybe they did have names when certain people were telling the stories. At times. Yeah, I mean, they might have even be like, let's call her Mary. Yeah. Or, you know, like whatever, like as they're telling a story, instead of being like, oh, so Francis went to Mary Beth and somebody's like, wait, wait, who is Mary yeah. Beth again? Mary Beth is the first princess. Right. Wait, then what was the name of the second princess? It's like, yeah, it no, gets really complicated. Just, it's like, let's just call yeah, the first just, princess, second princess, and then you'll know who we're talking about. Okay. Yeah. It's like the woodsman, the merchant, yeah. the butcher. Like it, it, it is easier to keep in mind who the character is if you have kind of like a very simplified they're set a very simplified like their occupation yeah. or whatever because you're like oh right right the butcher from before yeah. is easier to visualize than Marcus <laughs> yeah <laughs> what does Marcus look like <laughs> Brothers names. People can be like, why? Why was that the first name that came to her mind? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, and it's yeah because when you compare it again to like film or TV or to like books, you have so much more 
that you can latch onto. Like when you're reading a book, you can see the name on the paper. So it's like, it's not just their name. It's like, you can remember how it looks. And I know for me, a lot of times if I'm reading and I see the name of the character, sometimes it doesn't actually even register as far as like making the sounds of that character's name in my brain. I just see the general shape of the name on the page and I know who you're talking about. Or when it's a movie, like you have a person on screen in front of you you don't even have to know anything about their name or anything just what they look like and it could be there could be two people that that could be described very similarly like oh a woman that was tall with blonde hair versus a woman who's tall with blonde hair but just because there are literal different people that are playing them like you can tell them apart just by looking at them where you couldn't in just that description I'm laughing just because I just remembered how confused I was getting watching uh, Bridgerton on <laughs> Netflix because, like, the three oldest brothers all looked the exact same to me. They uh-huh. were all, like, adult white men with brown hair. <laughs> and their hair all kind of was styled the same way and they were all basically wearing, like, the same clothes. I could not, for the life of me, tell them apart. I could not figure out the plot, like, right. what was happening. And, I mean, that movie is very plot-heavy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kidding. so plot-heavy. Um, I could not figure out, like, what was happening in the story. <laughs> just because you didn't all know three who of these who. men. Yeah. Yeah, they... They just all looked the same to me. I'm so sorry. And then I also remembered how I couldn't tell your wife from any of my, any any other white person when I moved to the United States. I'm so sorry. White people with brown hair all look, all the look same. like the same person. <laughs> Didn't your, wasn't it your wife who said that all bald men with beards look the exact same With goatees. Same That's why I can never grow a goatee. It's not that she is. She'll lose you. It's not that she has said that. It's that she has demonstrated that she cannot tell these men apart. She's demonstrating. Yeah, like, uh, yeah. She just like I've been the one to be like, no, that is not that person. She didn't know why she could not keep them straight, and I'm like, I know why you can't keep them all straight because they are all bald and they all have goatees. Even though other than that, they do not look hardly anything alike. And they are also all white, but like very different like face structures. Uh, anyway, when I was reading Anna Karenina, I am not familiar with a lot of like Russian names. And so I, in my mind, didn't know how to pronounce them. And so I was just trying to like memorize what the name looked like. But I mean, it helped too, because even if a character got mentioned, I was like, wait, who is that again? I just flipped to another page in the book that mentioned the name and then looked around for context. Uh I was like, oh, right, that guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, (laughs) and then like moved on. And it's not like there's not issues that come up in that same thing. Like you brought up the Bridgerton example where sometimes people do look so much alike that it is hard to tell them apart. Whereas if you were reading about it and their names were like Henry, Dominique, and Marcus. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. That's better. Reincorporation. And Marcus. that, you know, you'd be able to, you would never get those names on the page confused, whereas you could get people that looked similarly confused. But yeah, anyway, it's just like so many things are clicking together about, you know, people in fairy tales not having names, why characters like get forgotten about when (laughs) they're not needed anymore, when you would imagine they could still be around. Yeah. So one thing that I want to point out, because we mentioned The Storyteller, which is the Jim Henson production from the 1980s. If people want to look it up, I'm pretty sure it's on Amazon Prime. 
So you might be able to find it there. There might also be available on YouTube. But what was interesting is in their retelling of Hans My Hedgehog, they added a second part to the end, which basically is mirroring the journey of the Cupid and Psyche story and East of the Sun, West of the Moon, where the princess actually has to go in search of why are you making that face? Because I just looked it up and I see the the oh, photo of Hans the Hedgehog and what he looks like. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Your face just like threw me off so bad. I was like, what happened? Because you were stretching. I thought that you'd like pulled a damaged muscle. yourself no. in some way. I did damage myself in some way by looking at this <laughs> picture of Hans the Hedgehog. <laughs> Um, but the second half of the story is very similar to Cupid and Psyche. <laughs> I'm so sorry. So I just noticed looking over here too, Hans the Hedgehog, they have ratings for every episode. Every single other episode of this series is rated TV PG and Hans the Hedgehog is rated 13 plus. <laughs> Because, like, visually, it's so upsetting. So I think you need to be even older than 13 to look at that picture. Do you know what's funny? Is there's there's another episode that kind of tells this. It's uh, telling the story of the boy who went forth to learn fear. That's hilarious that that one's, you know, reading, like, PG, but Hans by Hedgehog is, like, PG. 13. The second half of their story includes elements that are found in Cupid and Psyche and East of the Sun, West of the Moon, where Hans like disappears and then she has to go to a blacksmith to get these like solid iron shoes that will protect her feet while she's on this really long journey. And she goes through like three pairs of these like solid iron shoes while she's like walking the whole earth to wow. like recover him. And That's find fascinating. Him. So it's interesting because in the episode, they, yeah, kind of stuck those two stories together of this animal groom and the East of the Sun, West of the Moon, Cupid and Psyche, like that second half of a uh, woman in search of the lost yeah. husband tale type. And they stuck it together to make kind of like a longer episode and to make it seem like, you know, the princess was more in love right. with Hans, my hedgehog. than we see in, in these just the, then the shorter story yeah. from the Grimm's brothers in the episode. Cause the thing that kind of disturbed me, that makes me not like the story as much is the whole thing of him, like getting retribution on the first King and princess. Is that still part yeah. of it? No, in that episode, they take out the, the first king, uh, the the first king, and the first like princess. Yeah. He like just has meets the the one the one king and the one princess, and like the princess, it actually seems she's like pretty willing to do it. There's like yeah. a famous line where he asks her if she finds him ugly, mm-hmm. and she replies that he is not nearly as ugly as a broken promise. And so she kind of like in the story even shows the way that they did it in the storyteller shows kind of that she's a a better person than the women that we see in this story. That's interesting too, because it like 
answers the question I was about to ask before I answered it, which is like, the first part seems kind of unnecessary to me. Like the whole having a second king and princess that that don't keep the promise seems like, seems unnecessary until you said that whole thing about how like, oh, like they, the, the creators of the storyteller show seem to think that that was sort of an important part that the story was trying to communicate. So they had to keep it in a different way than showing like, hey, you break a promise, you get scratched up by a hedgehog boy and left yes. bloody and alone, you know? Yeah. So, so that does make sense, there, but it's still weird. There are tales that are like this that that predate the Grimm's brothers writing Hans My Hedgehog. One of the most notable is the Pig King. In the Pig King, the Pig King, I think he goes through like three different women who like promise him uh, like a princess. And then the the girl like plans to kill him on the wedding night. And so he murders her violently before the wedding, like before they get married. So anyway, the reason why I think in Hans My Hedgehog, there is that that first king and princess that break the promise. It kind of, I feel like it harkens back to like the yeah. pig king where like that is something that happens. Because it does seem kind of like unnecessary to the story except to be like, oh, people who break promises get killed. Yeah, because it is weird and interesting that it's interesting because like I demonstrated it was not obvious to me that that's kind of like one of the main things trying to be communicated by the story is like about people who break promises even though like i did get that i was like oh that's not good that that guy said he would do something and then didn't and it's like oh and he was punished for it that's fine it's so obvious and it's like the other one let's compare these two things these people (laughs) try to weasel out of their promise sneakily and they suffered and this person who still wasn't happy about having to follow through with the promise did so gladly and as a result she was able to be rewarded by the thing that she thought that was so distasteful that she was going to have to do, ending up not being distasteful and actually being great. Yeah. But it's also weird, too, because I think the other thing about it, like circling back to the father, which we sort of talked about immediately at the end of the story, was like the story is sort of centered around the father's little like journey about like wanting a son, getting a son that was not what he wanted because he kind of, again, and he himself sort of like promised that he would have a son no matter what, even if it was a hedgehog and it would be my son, that's how badly I want a kid, showed that he actually was not that excited to have a kid because when that kid did turn out to be a hedgehog, he was a was a jerk to him. Yeah. But then in the end, having not actually changed, <laughs> finally gets a son <laughs> that he wanted in the beginning of the story. Yeah. So it's, I don't know. Uh, I just I just thought that was interesting how it's like Hans the Hedgehog, the main character who the story is named after, doesn't really have, again, like a journey or a character arc that he goes through. He's just like, I'm a hedgehog just trying to do what I do and going with the flow. And me interacting with all these other people and how they respond to me is changing them and they're going through their little character arcs and character development, whether it be positively or negatively. Yeah. And that's what like another thing with uh, a lot of the fairy tales is that they were written more to entertain like the bourgeoisie and like adults, especially like aristocratic, like adults 
And not to like teach a lesson or to even show character development. It was more of just like entertainment through stuff continually happening that you weren't expecting, which is also why the the element that they never explain of like, why did was he suddenly able to take off his clothes, like it, off his skin and throw it into a fire? Like, yeah. and in other stories, again, like in the Pig King, he is made a pig by like a f- his mother was like asleep in the garden and a fairy like cursed her. Mm-hmm. And so there is like an element of like, oh, then we need to do some type of ceremony, some ritual or whatever to undo this. And then, and we talked about this in one of the uh, Beauty and the Beast episodes, there is a tale from India that predates all of these where there is a, I'm pretty sure it is the groom is a snake and he sheds his skin as snakes do mm-hmm. and then the wife casts that into the fire and he turns into like a human man yeah it is interesting because that's Which, that's repeated in all, lots of stories too that whole skin thing that was yeah. the first thing that i thought it was like oh taking off the skin and burning it i don't know why i didn't see this coming because that's a thing yeah which again uh, to me it makes more sense from a snake because yeah. snakes do shed their skin right but in other stories it's like you have like hedgehogs and pigs do not (laughs) right but in other stories it's like you have the swan um there was one i believe from like that is that's true thousand one nights where there was a woman but she was like a swan but she would come down and take off her swan skin and then go like bathing yeah and And, but she was the daughter of like a djinn right yeah so like there was and then selkies too like the the explanation is that like that that suit that turns them into an animal is like Part of it, it's more explicitly stated as opposed to like in these stories where it's kind of like, wait, why yeah. did Han suddenly <laughs> in the story? And again, this is like, they, these are the type of things that really got me into fairy tales is like reading stories like that and being like, but why? What? Why? How did this get in here? Yeah. And like the answer is, is that it slowly morphed and changed from stuff that made a little bit more sense. But then there was a precedent and people were like, Oh, and they already were kind of expecting this. There was kind of a, a a cultural knowledge and context for that story element. And so it's easily accepted, which this accidentally ties us. Cause I did not do this on purpose. (laughs) This ties us back into the Witcher. Yeah. And how, because I knew what was being referenced, the law of surprise immediately made sense yeah for what they were talking about because it was they pull off the helmet and it is a hedgehog man yeah and they don't have to say it's a hedgehog man because i can see (laughs) and i immediately knew what they were referencing when especially when they went into it and they were like oh the king had fallen and was hurt in the woods and i helped him get back and the queen was like i know what happened and then i love that she was like Kind of like men promising babies. What right do they have who've never like given birth to a child? And I was like, amen. Because it is like it's in these stories. It's like always the men that unwittingly promise away their Uh children. But I also knew from the story that, yes, the, the, the law of surprise was a tale motif that, you know, it's like, nope, 
It does have backstory. It does have credence. And I could, I knew that because I had so many stories that I already knew from that. So even though it was different, like they were, you know, changing it and doing their own thing with it. I immediately just accepted that as like, oh, of course. Yep. Law of surprise. (laughs) I'd never heard the words law of surprise before, but I was like, Nope, it all checks out. <laughs> the idea was there. You just needed to attach a different name to it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so I also knew what would happen too when inside of the story of the Witcher, people were telling the queen, if you don't honor this promise, something bad will happen. Yeah. Because in these stories, when you don't honor that promise, something bad happens whether it is you know an evil fairy enacting something or the hedgehog doing something violent or the pig king doing something bad if you don't honor those promises something bad always happens and so you too listener always (laughs) honor your promises (laughs) (laughs) so this will probably not be the last time that we reference uh the witcher in an episode because we actually got an audience request for a story what is funny is that i got the request before the episode went out that we announced that we were taking requests for tales wow if somebody was like hey i was watching the witcher season two (laughs) and there was a character in it who reminded me a lot of And I said no spoilers, so I won't say what it was. Um, But it reminded her of a a famous Russian character. (laughs) And she was wondering if we had already done an episode on that character. And I was like, we have not. And we've been teasing it for kind of like a long time. And I guess I'm still teasing it. So teasing it so uh, much that I still don't know who we're talking you about. You still don't know like what we're talking about. So I was like, if you don't want me to have any spoilers uh, in the next couple months, watch season two of The Witcher. And if you don't care about The Witcher at all, you will still enjoy the episode that we do based on it because it is a super relevant uh, tale for us to cover. So can't wait. And keep the request coming because that's what we're doing all year long. I'm excited to do this project this year. So yeah, keep keep the requests coming. Thank you for listening to The Fairy Tellers. If you enjoy what we're doing, please leave us a review or share us with your friends. Also consider supporting us on Patreon for access to exclusive bonus content, including outtakes and monthly bonus episodes at patreon.com slash thefairytellers. Special thanks to Andrew Foray for our music and to Clarice Inch for our artwork. And of course, a big thank you to all our patrons. Without all of you, this show wouldn't be possible. Fairy tales are always more interesting when something is added to them. Each new telling recharges the narrative, making it crackle and hiss with cultural energy. Maria Tatar